everybody creep show 2 is what i'm going to talk about today god knows why but uh, <laughs> it's on prime at the moment and it's free and i hadn't seen it in about a decade uh creep show 2 obviously the very sorry sorry ass new world pictures sequel but kind of belated at the time sequel to uh creep show which obviously was a bigger budget movie it was a warner brothers movie although you know, <laughs> it was a it was directed by George Romero, written by Stephen King, and it had five stories. Creepshow Two only has three, and I'm sure when I saw this when I was 15, I was like, "It's such a ripoff." The first one had five. The first one had five. But uh, when you experience the magic of Creepshow Two, you're like, uh, yeah, three is about right. I'm I'm all good. I don't need two more." Uh, <laughs> Creepshow One. Um, I liked a lot as a kid. It was, uh, you know, I, like I said, the five stories. You had the uh, the, the you know going back to the fact that there were five versus three in the original you could make the point i think people have that at least at least one of them is kind of redundant and the ed harris thing at the beginning with the ed harris does some corny dance and there's some bad party with ungracious relatives or whatever the and this guy comes out of the grave and uh what's his father's day cake or whatever is really the same story as the, the the Leslie Nielsen and Ted Dance one. Only that that Ted Dance one is, I think, much better. Most people do too. Uh, but you still you also get that great Stephen King mugging like a jackass as Jordy Verrill chugging his you know Tupperware pitcher of screw. He's got like not just a screwdriver. He's got a full Tupperware pitcher of orange juice with a whole bottle of vodka in it. Just great bad acting. Like there should be like a whole podcast or just like a a whole discussion or book written about the awful acting of Stephen King. You might want to put the Langoliers in there where he shows up while Brunson Pinchot's mugging like a jackass. And King looks like he weighs like 320 in that, which was an era I don't remember. I'm sure it was like the era that he had the, the van accident, maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm just it's creep show, too. So anyway, three stories get in and out. They're all um, the story credit here is. Uh, at least a co-story credit by Stephen King. And I got to imagine that they didn't. So these are from, I think the raft is in skeleton crew. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not the one to be the expert on that, but I figure like this story credit, they were just so happy to get his name on this. They're like, you know what? Send us a post it, dude. You don't even have to write a treatment. You don't have to write a scriptment. You don't even have to write any, just just give it up. Go, Hey, use this. <laughs> go to, here's my story submission. Go to page 321 of Skeleton Crew. I'm out. Send me the fucking check. But uh, he gets the, and Romero does not direct. This is directed by Michael Gornick, who's kind of a Romero collaborator, worked on a lot of his movies. Um, and it's, it's like, like the original has that framing device of, you know, the first one has that great Tom Atkins. And I'm just gonna keep coming back to Tom Atkins a lot in this podcast. I guess he was a Pittsburgh actor who was a big deal to me. You know him from Halloween Three, where he plays the legendary Doctor Dan Chalice. And in the framing of the original Creep Show, he's this like kind of mean, drunk suburban dad who's whacking his kid around for having a comic book. And you know he stashes like, and I thought this was so satanic when I was a kid. It's like his dad looks at nudie magazines. That's evil, man. And so he smacks the kid with the comic book. He's like, I don't want this trash in my house or whatever. And then he's pouring a big, he's pouring a, <laughs> a can of beer into his glass and he goes that's why god made fathers babe but it's this uh it was in total romero vision too it's like kind of got that pittsburgh split entry house look and uh a kind of flat in a way but also kind of it makes romero's movies can be very terrestrial looking or very uh bare bones um you know they're just shot in these like you know 
suburban houses in Pittsburgh and they don't have like a, a glossy look to them, but in a way that's sort of kind of their charm and what makes them scary and sinister is the mundanity of the surroundings. Um, so for Creepshow 2, rather than obviously they don't have Atkins back, they certainly don't have the budget or the cast. Well, they got some real luminaries in this cast. You got like uh, George Kennedy with a comb over. You got Dorothy Lamore who somehow was not only alive and willing to be in Creepshow 2, but uh, I don't know. I got to figure like, <laughs> if she had lived long enough, she might have like gone to cons or something. And she probably had like a little sad booth and it would have had like she pictures of the, the road movies with Bob Hope and Crosby and everything. That's what she was there to talk about. Instead, she's like getting some guy with a shirt that says Mucho Ecological Poncho. Just wanted to talk about Creepshow 2. Um, but this one, so and going back, the framing device in this one is a tune. It's a very ch- uh, cheesy crappily animated cartoon but it's also redundant because in addition to the framing device of the cartoon with this kid named billy who's a nerd classic stephen king nerd who's getting bullied by this it's weird he's getting bullied by this huge fat unpleasant kid in the tune and he's ordering this venus flytrap and then we find out at the end of the venus flytrap it it kills kids or it kills the bullies and the kid is very sin much like the kid in the the creep show one who gets kind of sinister when he sticks the the uh uh, voodoo doll needles into his dad played by Atkins uh, this kid's kind of a malicious little asshole too even though he's the bullied kid I mean this a real undercurrent of nastiness in this uh, the, in this tune and the, the stories in this movie the three stories and you kind of forget that about Stephen King because some of the the bigger Stephen King things we remember that are so epic like It uh, The Shining and Doctor Sleep um, Salem's Lot The Stand they're on that big uh, canvas and they're very uh, uh, the 112263 just like huge lots of characters this uh, Americana backdrop of you know places and people and things we recognize but then you forget like some of those short story things like the early ones like Night Shift and things like that just super mean spirited and gross I always come back to there was one called uh, Lawnmower Man which obviously they made into the uh, Jeff Fahey movie and it was just this sweaty gross dude gets naked and gets on his hands and knees and chews up the lawn. That that was the lawnmower man in the book. None of this, like, Brett Leonard virtual reality, uh, you know, ni- early 1990s aesthetic with Pierce Brosnan uh, looking suave in his wire rims. Um, first story of Creepshow 2, though, when we... Oh, I was going back to this. So we have this tune, and not only do we have the tune, we also have a very crappy low-rent mask of the guy called the creep who's like you know he's doing gags and stunts on the side he's like delivering the creep show uh comic books like a newsboy or something and he looks menacing and he's like <laughs> doing a cackle he's sort of like the guy in the window of the original one but instead it's very obviously i mean it's i'm sure it's tom savini makeup and everything but uh, it it's it, in the broad light of day um it's a little both corny and very redundant from the cartoon with the Venus flytrap kid story one. We got old chief Woodenhead, which is a, uh, it's about a uh, cigar store. I want to be careful here because we're in a more enlightened time. I, it, historically, this was called a wooden Indian or a cigar, cigar store Indian. So if I say that I'm only using it in the spirit of when the movie was made and what it's about and what they call it within the movie, the, using the parlance of that time. But uh, George Kennedy's the shopkeeper with this little roadside knickknacks convenience store. And he has a, he has a, uh, the wooden Indian out front and uh, he greets it every day, fixes up his war. He's like, here's your war paint chief. And he's got his comb overs looking majestic in the Arizona uh, tumbleweed desert and uh, his buddy is the local like Native American elder played by uh, Will Sampson who drops by and he, he bequeaths him this bag of some kind of jewels or prize or I don't know I watched it a few days ago and I was fairly drunk and I can't remember what it was but uh, 
Kennedy's like a good solid dude. He takes care. He loves Old Chief Woodenhead, which is his his uh, cigar store Indian out front, and he paints it up and he goes. Uh, you know, he greets it. He goes, Yawate, Chief Woodenhead. Akona, hey, Chief Woodenhead. Akona. I don't know why he does it in the Jeff Wells voice, voice but he uh, greets it that way. Gives it the, you know, the hand up howl from the old type movies. And uh, a local crew of degenerates comes by. And he's married to Dorothy Lamour, by the way. As if you care. But <laughs> like, it's whatever. But uh, a local crew of, like, badasses who's like the, the, the Native American guy who's like the outlaw, or the, the, you know, the, the outcast of his, of his tribe is, is played by the eminently Native American Holt McCollany, who you know from you know, uh, Fight Club, the Robert Paulson guy, and The Losers and Lights Out and Mine Hunters and uh, Black Hat. Uh, I had probably his first movie, I would imagine, is very early, and he's uh, uh, like a... But uh, McCollany is this, uh, you know, typical Stephen King... A uh, dirtbag asshole who's got this completely unimposing crew of two dumbasses, played by uh, Hal Holbrook's son David Holbrook, who is named Fat, who's kind of overweight, and his name is Fat Stuff, and he has a hat that says I think "No Bullshit" or "Bullshit" or something on it. And the other guy is Don Harvey, who maybe you remember from, you might remember him from Casualties of War. He was one of the the guys with John C. Riley, Sean Penn, and like Wasama, one of the evil guys that Michael J. Fox was intimidated by. Uh, you might also know him from the fact that he's been exactly the same age for 33 years, apparently. Um, <laughs> no, uh, no, see this, this, this evil Holt McCallany character who, who he's not just your garden variety movie psycho. He has Hollywood. He is no, no, he's got Hollywood ambitions. So he's going to knock over this George Kennedy's market to recoup these. He's going to steal these jewels that have been bequeathed from the local chieftain. And he's going to use them to uh, bankroll his Hollywood career. Yes. He's going to hit the road with fat stuff and Don Harvey. And he has a ho- He has Hollywood dreams. This is like finding out, like that Buddy Repperton, in addition to like tormenting Cuntingham, like he had designs on moving it to taking his act to Broadway to do, uh, you know, some local under 39 theater or something. Uh, he's, he's got a you know, Buddy Repperton's got a really hot, uh, you know, long day's journey into night under his belt or something that he's ready to unleash. And he thinks he's going to be a movie star, uh, the got bad guy in this, because he has long flowing uh, Native American uh, quaff of hair like it's very long and he thinks that when he gets he's like when I get to Hollywood the girls are going to rub this hair in their pussy and I'm like wow this guy's incredibly likable what a charmer and as we all know that the, the, the glistening long hair is just such a <laughs> it's such a key to Hollywood I mean we all remember Crystal Gale's uh, 50 year movie career also I'm thinking like has anybody ever done this move like they want to move to Hollywood to be an actor so they bankroll it with a little natural born killer style cross country murder spree was that Brad Pitt's move when he came out here from Missouri. Um, <laughs> I'm doing shtick here. But uh, anyway, the guy, the bad guys, they kill Dorothy L'Amour and they kill George Kennedy and they take off with these, the, you know, this treasure <laughs> that he's going to parlay into his SAG card or whatever. And this old chief Woodenhead is not a fan of this. He, you've disgraced the tribe now and you've murdered people. You know, you've brought shame to your ancestors and chief old chief Woodenhead comes to life very unconvincingly in a common, a lot of shadow work on this. You know, he's, he goes to hunt down the three bad guys and Don Harvey's, you know, you get to see that this guy's kind of a loser. Like he's living with his parents and he's, he goes out to the car in his garage and, and chief Woodenhead hacks him up and there's like a cheap shadow. And there's a lot of like bad stop motion for this, very unconvincing assault by this uh, 
uh, cigar store, you know, wooden Indian thing. Again, I apologize for using that term. I'm only using it because of this, you know, that's that's the language of this epic film. Um, and then he hunts down the other guys and, you know, the usual revenge thing. And he lives to see another day. In the end, the, uh, you know, Will Sampson or whoever is the, the, the town elder, the chief, kind of gives him a little tip of the hat. And he goes back to... Yeah, he really avenged George Kennedy. I don't have much more to say about this one. Only the McCallany stuff cracked me up. The actual execution of the, the wooden head uh, guy coming to life is very badly done. Then we get another little cartoon saying, and we get everybody's favorite, I think. Well, I wouldn't say. I think everybody straps, at least me, I wait for the thanks for the ride lady in the third part. But the uh, the raft, I think most people would argue, is probably the only successfully suspenseful thing in this. The thanks for the ride lady is just, the hitchhiker is the third part, is just silly and funny. And uh, But the second one has these four, you know, the classic college, two douchebags, two you know, their girlfriends and these two guys called each other Poncho and Cisco and truth told these dudes seem a lot more into each other than the, they do the two chicks, but they're smoking weed. The one guy's got like a skin tight football Jersey on. They're looking for trouble. They're going to the local lake to get high and, you know, romp around, have sex, have, you know, swim. And I like that the one dude in this, uh, the guy who, uh, I, I guess he's Cisco. I don't, re- I don't know why they call each other that. It's a reference to the movie they're watching in the first part. But uh, Cisco, I looked up this actor. To see, but oh, did I, I? I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up about Chief Woodenhead really fast. As long as I've got your time, and I'm never going to talk about Creepshow two to anyone else who would enjoy this. But uh, the IMDb trivia for for uh, for the uh, Creepshow two says that. Arnold Schwarzenegger was briefly considered to play the really thankless, ridiculous role of this cigar store Indian chief woodenhead. I'm like, oh, he's, he's considered, huh? That's kind of like, uh, that's about like how I Margot Robbie was considered to be my girlfriend in 2014. It just, I don't know, we couldn't get it to uh, come together, I guess. Um the second part is these four idiots and they go to swim and uh, the one dude who plays Cisco has there's I found an interview with him when he says I look so much like Christopher Reeve I used to get mistaken for him I'd go out and one time I met Christopher Reeve we took pictures and laughed about it and I'm like oh, this guy hey, maybe kind of looks like Christopher Reeve <laughs> he kind of looks like Kevin Spiritus from uh, Days of Our Lives Dr. Craig Wesley who you might know from uh, Friday the 13th Part 7 and Hills Have Eyes too. I don't know the uh, Christopher Reeve might be a little stretch and the 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 screen charisma and acting talent is definitely not Reeve-esque, I would say. But these guys, the four of them swim out to this raft and this huge, you know, ecological monster, this sludge monster of, of, it just looks like a bunch of hefty bags, but it's supposed to be like an oil slick that's evil and it. It can spring up and it kills one of the girls right away. And then, of course, the other girl's freaking out and the, the bigger douche of the two is the Cisco guy. But is he really the bigger douche? Because something happens later that's very, uh, very appalling, probably even then, but definitely in 2021 sense. But uh, so they're on the thing that the, the girl bites the dust, the, uh, the, the frat, the, you know, the, the Chris, our buddy Christopher Reeve gets killed. So we eventually get down to the last two, our, you know, our poncho guy and his girlfriend. And he instructs her, like, be careful where you step because of the, the creature can come up through the slats in the wood. And it's pretty, uh, pretty gory. I'm sure this is the gore hounds really love this, this of the three stories because uh, the way it latches onto the victims and uh, it's almost like Hellraiser 2 style gross out, you know, flesh being ripped apart. And it's a little too gross. Not really my type of type of deal, but it's pretty ghastly. And then, uh, 
there was an earlier implication that this dude of the two guys, the other guy was more of a meatball and he does this really unfunny, like Mexican guy accent to goof on, uh, poncho. And he says like, Ooh, like this, our main dude is like, Oh, this is uh he, he's a little more earth conscious, I guess. And talks about, has a throwaway line about this being, you know, the toxic waste. And I studied this when I was away at sea, like the implication being he had been at like Greenpeace and he's a little bit of a do-gooder and has a little more of a conscious, but I think this is just setting us up for the old hostile two trick where like maybe this guy's a bigger asshole than his asshole buddy because uh once it's down to the final two they're exhausted they're wrung out the girl finally passes out falls asleep and is unconscious and this guy takes the time to yes lift up her shirt so we we as the eight 1987 audience gets a, gets a nice shot of can some naked cans um it's super uh unpleasant and like queasy probably even then but it's uh uh, it's just in the spirit of awful 80s movies. It's something, it's not defensible in any way. And even I was like, oh, God, that's regrettable. But um, today it would just, you would get the rolling pin from <laughs> film Twitter, social media, like Miriam Bale or someone would come out with like a like a frying pan to whack Romero over the head. But I don't think Stephen King and Romero are that sexist or that dumb. I think this is a little bit of a setup, like softening him up. Like, oh, when this, when the ultimate, uh, when this dude finally gets swallowed up at the end, he kind of deserved it because he was kind of an asshole. And uh, it's just funny how cynical those, those eighty, even that, like the height of this suspenseful thing, just for no, it makes no story sense or anything for him to like, you know, start nuzzling her breasts against her will. They just had to figure out a way to show boobs in a movie at that time. Um, it's definitely something that has not aged well at all. <laughs> um, and, the th you know, I could tell you how it ends, but, you know, I pretty much just kind of gave it away by saying that. But we get to part three and it's the hitchhiker. And I, there's not really much you can say about the hitchhiker other than it's just everyone just remembers the guy saying thanks for the ride, lady. It's uh, Lois Childs, the esteemed Holly Goodhead from Moonraker, which was a Bond name that <laughs> I first saw Moonraker at six. I don't think I got what Holly Goodhead meant till I was I, I probably still didn't even piece it together for many years thereafter because I didn't want to think Bond or Ian Fleming or the series was that sleazy. Like I just I really there's a girl named Pussy Galore and you're stumped by Holly Goodhead. I just I don't know. I didn't see that one coming somehow. Um, but she's a, a rich, bored, rich housewife married to a, a probably possessive rich guy. She goes to Gigolo, who's like her regular dude. Um, and she's sleeping with this guy and she's guilt ridden, but has to get home to her husband. And en route, she's like, you know, dicking around frazzled behind the wheel and runs over this guy in a yellow slicker who just, he's an African-American guy and he's going to Dover. He's got the yellow raincoat. And, uh, the fact that he's a black guy makes, adds an, there's an element of commentary and unpleasantness to it that I think the movie itself is too dumb to address. But uh, again, as I was saying about those early Stephen King books, that mean spiritedness is definitely there. And the social commentary of Romero's there, but just the movie's so fucking idiotic. It doesn't really matter. You know, it doesn't it doesn't register. It's just like she runs over this guy and then he kind of keeps coming back to haunt her. She's on the road home and every time he does he goes thanks for the ride lady and then one time you get my favorite variation when he goes hey lady thanks thanks for the ride <laughs> if you see it it's one of those things like if you go to disney and they have that whatever that ride is with the uh 
with that song, the small world after all, and it's stuck in your head for the next six years after you go there. That's pretty much the main effect of the third part of uh, Creep Show Three is just getting that. Uh, Thanks for the ride, lady, stuck in your head. Um, and it has a Stephen King cameo in there somewhere as a trucker, obviously doing some mugging, some overacting. Uh, there's really not a ton to say about this. It's just a lot of Lois Childs running over the Thanks for the Ride Lady guy and him saying his trademark catchphrase, which probably just from me reminding you of it, you'll be hearing it for a week and cursing me out. So I'll probably call it a call it a day here. It finishes with the the uh, the, the culmination of that stupid cartoon with Billy getting his uh, his Venus his Venus flytrap going and the bully. By the way, I think the, the the bully I think his name is Rhino, the big fat kid chases him into a gulch of some sort and un- he unleashes his toy Venus flytrap that he got from the Creepshow comic book and it comes alive and grows giant like the fucking plant from uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Except this is all in really awful sinister animation as i said and it swallows up the bullies and our buddy billy with like a satan like a a menacing glower goes uh giant venus fly traps they eat meat and then we go back to the creep with his dopey mask delivering the issues and he's off to the races and the credits come up and that was creep show too i can't say too much more about it this is running a little long hope you enjoyed it and uh you know yeah have a good one all right uh Let me see how I can turn this off. (laughs) This was way longer. I had a story in here about how I saw this the day I saw a dude at Three River Stadium take a huge whiz on my mom's 78 Malibu, but I couldn't, in good conscience, keep anyone waiting for the, the movie part any longer. Anyway, have a good day.